As I mentioned to the children, we continue today in a sermon series that we began at the end of last month that we're calling Birthday Party. At the very end of September, we began to mark a year of celebration, marking 75 years of faith and ministry since the founding of our church. Each week, we are looking to the scriptures, but also to the history of our congregation to ask ourselves where and how we have seen God at work in our past, and through that lens, where and how we see God leading us into the future. And so we began by marking 75 years of faith, 75 years of fellowship. Last week, the Reverend Annie Franklin Arvin led us in an exploration of 75 years of mission. And this week, we turn to this, worship. What does it mean to be a church that is marking 75 years of gathering to sing and pray and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ? And so we continue now listening for a word from God, hearing verses that are among the last in all of the scriptures, the final chapter of the book of Revelation, Revelation 22, verses 1 through 7. Let us continue listening now for a word from God. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve other translations render that word worship. His servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not heed the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God who inspires the prophets, sent his angel to show his servants the things that must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy that are written in this scroll. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me once more in prayer? Good and gracious God, send your spirit now that it would stir something in us, that this worship would lift us out of our self-centered world and our self-centered selves to something that is greater than anything we can imagine. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here in your sight would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I feel like I need to start today with a question. Why are you here? 
I mean, you all recognize, right, that you're kind of abnormalities, I guess, statistically speaking. I mean, I can think of a thousand other things that we could all be doing on a Sunday morning. And yet here you all are. You chose to get up, to get dressed, to get in your car, some to walk across the street or down the street, to come and sit in a room of relative strangers and relative silence on relatively uncomfortable pews for close to an hour. I mean, why are you here? Now, some of you may be thinking quietly to yourselves, finally, a preacher who gets me, why am I here? <laughs> I didn't want to be here. And frankly, I wouldn't mind getting up and heading out right now. Right? Why have people since the time of David, people like those in the psalm that Hillary read for us, why have they done what the psalmist says people do? Get up and go to the house of the Lord. Right? Or take the picture that we are talking about in the children's moment. Why did these people, this group of people calling themselves St. Simon's Presbyterian Church over 75 years ago, decide to start getting up and going to worship in a space that honestly to me looks kind of cramped, and I'm willing to bet during many months of the year here in southeast Georgia was rather hot. And when the camera light was not flashing, was probably also kind of dim. Right? Where did people get the idea that they should get up and go gather with others in a space like this? Not just one time, but one time every why do we worship? I'm willing to guess that many of us would answer that question differently. If you are at a stage in life like some of us here where your homes are constantly filled with noise from sun up to sun down, maybe your answer is, I like to come to worship because it is an hour every week when I can just be silent. Perhaps others of us come because we enjoy the opportunity to pray, to sing. Maybe others of us come for the community. Our lives otherwise are somewhat lonely, while still others may come here for the anonymity. Here's one place where no one will recognize me. Some of us may come just to sit and be in a space like this one, though not one of the great cathedrals of the world, is admittedly distinctly different than what I'm willing to bet most of us find ourselves occupying the other six days of the week. But what strikes me, especially in that psalm, is that the psalmist doesn't say, let us go to the house of the Lord for any of those reasons. Let us go to the house of the Lord to be quiet. Let us go to the house of the Lord to pray, to sing, to preach. The psalmist simply says, let us go to the house of the Lord, period. Since the earliest days, it seems to me at least that God's people have understood that there is something in the act itself of bringing yourself to church that is vitally important to the life of faith. 
I remember hearing once a pastor talk about how he was lamenting about his golf game to a church member. All of his drives were doing this, his scores had plateaued. And the church member said to him, well, listen, I can make you a better golfer, but you're going to have to do one thing. What's that, he asked. You're going to have to practice. Well, that's exactly what he didn't want to do. He just wanted to be able to go out whenever, hit the ball, see his scores go down without ever having to take time to practice. That's not the way golf or or life works, is it? The only way to improve at much of anything is to practice. To make the same swing over and over and over again until it gets ingrained in our muscle memory. And that psalm, it makes me wonder if maybe it's not just our arms and legs and back muscles that have memory. I wonder if it's also our hearts and our souls. Right? What if worship is this time and space every week, whether you're here or not, There is a time every week when people gather to exercise our soul muscles, if you will. This place where we come together to hear the gospel, which is literally just the story that tells us that God loves us, forgives us, redeems us, and sends us. This place where we gather to hear the gospel repeated over and over again until it becomes so deeply ingrained in us that it both shapes and gives shape to how we see and how we live in the world. You've heard his name before, Eugene Peterson. He's one of the spiritual heroes in my life, the now deceased Presbyterian pastor and writer. Peterson wrote a book on the Psalms of Ascent, of which Psalm 122 is a part, and it's a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I commend it to you if you're looking for something to pick up. But there's a chapter in that book on this particular psalm that Hillary read, Psalm 122. And in that chapter, Peterson tells the story of how he once made a pastoral call to a woman who, when he arrived, he entered and he found her by the window in the living room. And she was sitting there embroidering on a piece of cloth that was pulled tight across this oval hoop. And as soon as he entered, the woman spoke, saying, Pastor, while I have been sitting here waiting for you to come, I finally realize what's wrong with me. What's that, he asked. I don't have a frame, she said. My feelings, my thoughts, my activities, everything just kind of feels loose and sloppy. There's no border to my life. I never know where I am. Eugene, she said, I need a frame for my life like like this one that I have for my embroidery. The point Peterson was trying to make in sharing this story is that Christian worship, Christian worship gives us that frame. Right? When we come and worship over and over again, the good news of Jesus Christ gradually becomes the hoop across which we can stretch every facet of our lives. 
right? The more we come to worship, the more we exercise that soul muscle, the more we realize that the God who we pray to in this space, good and gracious God, we realize that God's goodness and grace, it doesn't stop at the back door of the sanctuary. The more we come and exercise those soul muscles, the more we recognize that that hymn, Amazing Grace, which we sing and hear, our ears become attuned to hear those notes in surprising places way out there. The more we come and worship and exercise those soul muscles, the more courage we gradually have to live the gospel, to live as if that story of God's love and redemption, God's forgiveness, God's sending of us is true for all the world. The more courage we have, in other words, to practice what we preach. See, that's why I I hope you're here today. I hope that you are not here today for the music, for the preaching, or because someone made you. I hope you're here for the same reason that that group of people calling themselves St. Simon's Presbyterian first started going up to that hot, cramped, dim house of the Lord some 75-plus years ago. I hope that you are here today and next week and the week after that to be reminded again of the story of a God who in this otherwise constantly changing world is steadfast and sturdy. I hope that you come back again and again to find hope and direction and a sturdy framework for our lives Lives that can be stretched across the truth that the God who has been with us in the past is the God who is with us in the present and is the God who will lead us forward into all that is still to come. You know, it reminds me of those verses that we heard from Revelation. Revelation's kind of a trippy book. I avoid it, honestly, whenever I have the choice because I never quite know what to do with most of what is in it. But I love the imagery that we read at the very end, literally the end of our canon as we know it. Chapter 22 is this, this image of heaven. And it's this beautiful, vivid imagery, isn't it? That we'll see God face to face, that there will be no more darkness, that our light will be God's light. And right in the center, literally what it's telling us is one of the last acts that people will ever do, what heaven is like, is worship. People bow down to worship, Revelation tells us. It gives me hope that every time we gather, whether it's this week, or next week, or the week after that, or whether it's a congregation a hundred years from now that are looking at a picture taken today that's on their bulletin and saying, look at all these people. That image of heaven and worship being at the center of it, it gives me hope 
that one day the question won't so much be, why are you here? As how could we be anywhere else? Friends, in that hope and in the sturdy framework of that love, thanks be to God. Amen.